May the words of my lips and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. When I prepare my thoughts for Sunday, I see my job as reflecting on the scriptures that we've all been given to reflect upon and share those reflections with you in the hopes that it might spark your own reflections. And so um, they're inevitably idiosyncratic. They come from my perspective, where I'm coming from, the things I'm thinking about. So I, I, I preface my thoughts today because um, uh, I'm thinking a lot about the church lately. Um, I'm not particularly thinking about the spiritual life in general or the, uh, the struggles that we are going through in our society. Um, my particular focus for the last couple of weeks has been on our institutional Anglican Church and its challenges and what we are trying to do about them and so forth. And so because I've been spending a lot of time in that world, um, this line from Isaiah just hit me like a ton of bricks this week. Um, and so Isaiah gets called by God. So here we have another prophetic call, just like last week. We heard Isaiah, we heard Jeremiah last week. This week we hear Isaiah. And um, so he gets called by God. And who, you know, um, woe is me, I'm a man of unclean lips. And so the lips are cleansed. Again, the same theme. It's not about your personal worthiness. It's about what God is doing through you. And, um, and out of that, uh, here I am, send me. And the first message he gets from God is, go and tell these people that they're not supposed to understand anything and that they're not supposed to hear anything and they're not supposed to see anything and you know, God is going to shut their minds so they don't hear a word that comes out of your mouth. It's my words and their job is not to hear them. And that hit me like a ton of bricks because um, it's, it's why would God do that? Why doesn't God want to rehabilitate, recover? Because, you know, I'm, I'm looking at the nation of Israel and I'm relating to the nation of Israel as the Anglican Church of Canada. Why wouldn't God want to rehabilitate? Give us a prophetic word. Tell us how to turn the ship around. Uh, get this franchise going again. Um, and, and here we have the example of the opposite. No. And then the next paragraph gets even better. Because, well, how long is this horrible thing going to happen? Well, until all the cities are laid waste and not one thing is standing on another. And even if a tenth of it remains, we're going to burn it again. We've got to take it right down to the stump. And I, I can't help hearing that and saying, oh, so that's what God is doing to us as a church. That, that, we, that the prophetic words are out there, but we can't hear them because we're too attached to the way it's always been, like Israel. And yes, we are the people of God. Israel didn't stop being the people of God after Isaiah, after it was broken down to that tenth of a tenth of a tenth that was the stump. And so God was doing a new thing with Israel. And it wasn't pleasant, but it needed to happen. It was a process of death and rebirth and, um, and ending and new beginnings. And so I believe we as a church are in a time of ending and new beginnings. And I don't like it. I'm attached to the way it has been. I love it. It has fed me. It has shaped me. It has formed me in who I am. I, I'm, I'm not throwing up my hands and saying, well, that's it. We're done. We're going to go home tomorrow and, you know, um, just close up shop either. Um, because it's not on us to decide what the next steps are or what God is going to do. And certainly in the story of Israel, um, there's a continuity 
between the very first pages and the story of Israel to this day, that God is the same. God loves and has, uh, has a special relationship with the nation of Israel and continues to break them down and build them up and, and have them be his chosen people. Um, and so, the, and, and who they are as Israelites today bears an organic relationship to who they were in the time of Isaiah and indeed Abraham. And so the same is true for us as a church. We, we, we're not going to be broken down and remade into somebody else's image. We are still ultimately at the mercy of God, whose grace is the operative power here. It's not on us. It's not on us to rebuild it in our own image. It's for us to wait and see what image it is that is truly faithful to what God intends for us. And so with that sort of... <sighs> feeling um, of, okay, God, it's sort of Garden of Gethsemane time. Um, I, you know, take this cup from me, but whatever you want is going to be okay with me. Um, I come to the Paul reading where, where and this is part of the work that I believe we are called to as a church, which is, okay, if you strip everything back about who we have been, what's the core of who we are? Because that's the part that will survive. That's the part that needs to survive. That's what we are called to be faithful to, is our core. And one of the hard conversations that we as Anglicans struggle with is that sometimes we have very different interpretations of what that core is. And we don't agree with each other what that core is. And as long as we were the church of the empire, we could just agree to disagree and get along fine. But when it comes down to forced choices about who we need to be, um, we're going to have a time of struggle with the varying competing ideas of who we are and who we ought to be. So let's look at what Paul says. Paul has a core. He's calling the Corinthians back to their core. And what is Paul's understanding of that core? He says, um, Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures that he was buried, raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then the twelve and eventually you know, 500 and then finally to me, Paul. So for Paul, that's the core. It's the death and the resurrection. And it's interesting that there, he's got that line according to the scriptures in both parts of that little formula. He didn't just say that Christ died and rose again. He said he died according to the scriptures and was buried and rose again according to the scriptures. And so Paul is tying that story. There's a continuity of that story to the story of Israel in Paul's mind. And I think that's absolutely right. And so when you see the death and resurrection of Jesus in that light, it looks a lot like the burning down of Israel to its stump and one-tenth it's too big and it has to go further. That we have to have a complete ending and new beginning. And so you have a complete ending of Jesus' earthly life in order for the new beginning of Jesus' resurrected life. It's the same story. It's the same story again in a new context for a new era. So the challenge facing us, and I, and I, I give you, I'm, I, now I'm going to go to my idiosyncratic, Chris's idea of what the context is today. And I say this not um, uh, as, as an authority, but as a con contribution to the con conversation that we all need to have as Christians and Anglicans. That, that, that it, this is our work. It's not my work. It's our work. But because it is our work and I have a pulpit to fill, you're going to get my thoughts. So here they are. 
When you talk about the death and resurrection of Jesus and the notion of dying and rising again, it's very, very abstract. It's not really actionable until you put some flesh on it, until you contextualize it. Okay, that's nice. Christ died, rose again. I believe that. What does that mean for this guy? What does that mean for us as a community? And for me, that means that, and again, I go in this same passage, you've got the good news that I proclaim to you, says Paul. So this is good news. This is salvation. This is something that rescues us from some terrible fate and brings us into some more positive way of being. And so for me, the death and resurrection of Christ, that story of dying and rising, which is consistent with the Old Testament and is the story of what God does with humanity throughout God's history with us, um, that leads us into a new way of being. It's a capital W way, which is what the early Christians called themselves. We, we didn't call ourselves Christians. The Romans called us that. Those Christians, those crazy people, they're the Christians, the Christians um, are those people. We called ourselves people of the way because we were clear that what Jesus gave us was a new way, a new way to act, a new way to be. And that new way was rooted in the death and resurrection of Christ. So from the very beginning, we said, we have to die and rise again. That's the secret to life. That's the secret to the good life. That's the secret to to happiness, to peace, to joy, to fulfillment, to being who we were meant to be. And it's hard. It's hard to die because we cling on to our old selves. We want to, you know, we want to live for me. Uh, this is the guy that's important to me, and that's the way of the self, the way of selfishness, the way of the ego, and that's the natural way to be. Because we are human, we're born that way. Of course, we're looking out for number one. That's what we do. But the secret is that it's the opposite of that. It's when we abandon the ego, the self-centeredness, and we live for God and for neighbor, that we discover the true self that we were meant to be. It's the paradox. So we actually live more for ourselves in the right way when we live for others. And this is the way. It's actually very simple. And yet we get it wrong all the time. And so God has to keep working with us. God has to keep breaking us down in order to build us up more and more into the likeness of God and the likeness of Jesus. And and this is the, the heart of what I think the Christian church needs to be about. It's certainly what transformed my life as a young man. The first message that transformed me completely was, you mean God loves me, this guy? Um, Because like everybody, I had a deep insecurity about whether I was lovable or even loved. And yeah, my parents loved me, but they had to. Um, and but but they, you know but what about my peers? I mean, my adolescence, and I, I was working my way through who am I, and 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 what's good about me, and why would people like me, and all that stuff. And the message of the gospel that you are beloved just because God doesn't make junk. God made you. God loves you just the way you are. You don't have to do anything to earn it. You've got it. You've got God's love. That was the first thing. And then the next thing was. Now that you've, you, you know that you don't need to do anything to earn God's love, now it's time to change. Now it's time to become who God meant you to be. But you do that not because you're anxious that God isn't going to love you if you don't do the work, but because you know God already loves you and that you want to be 
that person who God wants you to be. And so it's a complete reversal. It's a paradoxical uh, change from that way of the self that says, well, I need to change myself so that I can be acceptable to others and ultimately lovable. And we do all kinds of things in our mind to justify that to ourselves or interpret that. I have to be successful. I have to have, be, have a legacy. I have to be great at my work. I have to be famous. I have to be rich. I have to be whatever it is. Finally, then I will be okay. Whereas the way of Jesus is, I don't need to do any of that. In fact, I need to let go of all that and just be in the present moment, loving others as myself and seeing where God is right here and right now. And all of a sudden, that's where joy is. That's where peace is. That's where redemption and salvation are. So for me, the church needs to be about that. And it is about that at some level. And there's a whole bunch of other stuff that the church has come to be about and gotten wrong. It's very easy, and we have done it, we do it over and over again, to make the church about me. It's about my identity, about my belonging, about my spiritual needs getting met, my self-growth and actualization. Me, 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 me. And when that gets threatened, we get defensive. But that's, that's an indication that we still haven't been burnt down to the stump yet. So... I wouldn't say that we embrace the tearing down. That's not emotionally honest. I would say rather that we learn to accept that we need to be torn down in order for us to be reborn a little bit more into Christ's image every day. And when we commit to that, we are... um, We have received the good news, we stand in the good news, and through this message, we are being saved. And if that is the reality in which we live, then at some point, that reality will transmit to others. Not because we want to take over society and take it back for the Christendom, but because what we're about is the way to be human, the way God meant us all to be. And that is inherently attractive. And that's inherently something that we would want to share with others for their sake, not to keep our church going. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.